Welcome to Wacker Slaps, where we look back into the annals of the 2000s indie music to determine if an album, band, or an even entire musical movement was actually good or just a product of the hype machine. Like all great podcasts, this is a direct spinoff of a very sketchy group text that is mostly about food these days. That simply refuses to die. And uh, now let's hear from a couple of hardcore indie rocking guys that are making a lot of ill noise on the blog sphere. Hey, what's up? I'm Noah. I'm your darling black sheep boy. <laughs> and I'm Adrian, your Americana-tinged producer. Whoa. And I am Caleb, your host, the middle boy. <laughs> nice. Yep, both in terms of birth order and where my uh, opinions lie. And uh, yeah, welcome to it. This is, uh, man, we've had so many episodes, I'm already losing count. This is 19? I think so. 19. 19. The age I was when this album came into my life, and the age I was when this album left my life. <laughs> yeah. So that's very, it's very apropos. Yeah, it's kind of um, a forgotten band, I think. I feel like because they, they had like the 10th anniversary reissue of this album, but I don't ever remember like, Anybody being excited like Okraville River is going on tour and they're playing Black Sheep Boy in its entirety for the 10th year anniversary. Like, I, I don't remember anything. But anyways, I, I should say. Yeah, no, you jumped the gun a little bit there. Yeah. What are we? Uh, what are we? We're doing. This week? We are doing Okraville River. Nice. Uh, the Black Street Boys. And the album is from uh, 2005. Um, no, it's Okerville River, Black Sheep Boy from 2005. Uh, Adrian, what did Pitchfork have to say about this kind of forgotten album? So our old pals gave this an 8.5. It did oh. not get a best new music. Oh, uh, wait, so we could just what? shut it down. Shut it down, guys. <laughs> Back to the fucking drawing board violating our own rules. And and actually, well, you know, we don't play by the rules over here, but uh that's true. We kind of quickly we play fast and loose. Yep. You know. It's all from our memory of what was like <laughs> I don't know, in the zeitgeist at the time and what we were listening to and what we feel we have to be reactionary yeah. towards now. It so. did it did though, the reason why we're covering it, it made the two thousand five year end list. I think it was number forty eight. And then it made the um, best of the 2000s pitchfork top 200 list. And it was like all the way up at 176 or something crazy. Yeah. 174. Popular album too. Yeah. And definitely like one of those bands you just like remember them being around, but then like you don't really revisit it. And that's kind of like the spirit of kind of yeah. how we organize episode to episode and like create our list about who to cover. But we digress as is on brand um what did pitchfork say in their brisk review yeah this one was actually very very brisk it's yeah, like it's kind of abrupt too i, I actually paragraphs. read it yeah i actually it's read a it good review though it's, it's probably good, one of the, yeah. the better ones that we've 
pad on here. Yeah. Well, from They've... this era, especially, I think this was kind of when they were transitioning out of like the real snarky pitchfork into kind of more yeah not mainstream, but a little bit more serious. I think they were doing more like populist. yeah, just like turn and burn yeah, kind of populist. shit too. Yep. Yeah. Like they're trying to crank out the content. Yeah. So actually, that's interesting. Um, so let me start off by saying it was reviewed by Stephen M. Doisner. Doisner. Uh, who Bring I the think douze. the douche <laughs> nozzle. Uh, he I, the I, reviews. <laughs> oh no! Uh, I recall his, seeing his byline around. Um, not too familiar with some of his other reviews, but I know that he was around Pitchfork uh, at least around this time. And as we mentioned, this review is very straightforward and very like succinct. So I just pulled the kind of a uh, a little bit that I feel really speaks to the kind of the color of this record and and sort of what's going on with uh with will chef the uh the singer songwriter um leader of the band as pauline kale once wrote of gene wilder singer songwriter will chef taps a private madness as if the pain and heartbreak around him the runaway sons abused daughters lost friends damaged lovers and doomed relationships that compromise the world of this album push him to cotterwelling arias his hysteria barely bottled by the demands of his carefully constructed songs but like wilder chef never overplays his hands and always maintains control which also like wilder makes him at once heartbreaking and somewhat humorous more self-aware than Connor Oberst, more serious than Colin Malloy, more legible than Jeff Mangum. So I, I think those touchdowns, those three especially. Yeah, that goes all my accurate. comparisons for later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Not sorry. Those, the fucking, no, it's all good. <laughs> but he, he pretty more. much nails it there. <laughs> yeah. And he's touching on a few things. I think the vocals are definitely something that are striking about this record, but also <laughs> like the emotion behind it for sure is a huge piece of it and we'll get into kind of the the background here in a second but yeah um but yeah i thought i just felt like that little piece kind of uh speaks to a lot of what's uh what, what this dude's uh interested in and what's going on with this record. yeah and you know this kind of um you know bordering the the what was their deal segment but um I think for at this time, like 2005, things were, I mean, things were happening around like the hype machine and the fucking indie thing. And it was kind of like really ramping up. Um, but I th feel like straightforwardness was a little bit more of a value add, you know, for these kinds of bands. And that's what, like, what was this band's deal is they're kind of didn't have one. They're kind of remarkable and they weren't like, you know, they had their own style and they had, you know, the things that distinguish them, but it was also a lot of time where just it was kind of just capital I indie rock and just very like, I don't know, down the road kinds of things. And I feel like they made a might have came out of that, you know, yeah, group of endless bands, you know, that, you know, that I that some I might have just been fever dreams that I just like uh, the Great Lakes <laughs> Swimmers. They're not a real band. Right. Or <laughs> Bessnard Lakes or Mid Lake. Uh, um, yeah, all the water, all the, the body of water bands are all fucking. Except, uh, of course, Swan Lake. Swan Lake. Oh, yeah. Our favorite. Well, super based, group. Yep. Of course. My favorite. Super, that's based on a opera or whatever, though. Yeah, um, Will Chef was in a super super uh, super group too, right? Shearwater. Shearwater. That Another was water dude. Band, water. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm saying is, there's all these bands that may or may not have existed <laughs> related to water, and I don't know. I, they just kind of <laughs> like water, just kind of came in with the tide and went back out with it, and it was just I don't know. It was like at a weird time where it was like kind of 
cool to be unremarkable or just i don't know yeah caleb well i mean i'd say they they're kind of a middle ground between like what you would call like alt country in a way yeah they definitely mm -hmm. picked up like that wilco uncle tupelo mantle um which in a way is an extension of the stuff that's happening in the 90s of what's like kind of called heartland rock with your like seegers and your yeah your you know sucking on chili dogs and all that good stuff <laughs> um, your, your spring scenes you know even those from the johnny um, coogs east coast yeah johnny coogs but i but, would yeah. add i would add though that they have a tinge of kind of emo sort of punk inspired like a la the thermals or like ted leo yeah and, or even uh, like bands like cursive and like those kind yeah. of the, um, the midwestern kind of yeah the midwestern kind of saddle creek yeah. thing um where those bands yeah didn't necessarily come out of punk but they would have played open mics where punk bands yeah. played later it's like the, the the punk rock guys that have like horn rimmed glasses that are like oh, okay i'm not like kind of cool enough to be punk i gotta be yeah. more like hard on my sleeve i'm writing short stories right like, but i like the straightforwardness the of it goats or something like that i like the straightforwardness mm -hmm. of it i like the i like the basic song structures but hardcore is too much for me you know <laughs> that's <Yeah>. too <laughs> collective minded you know i'm kind of speaking from like a um a very like personal narrative you know um yeah. so yeah, I guess their deal was they didn't really have one. I don't know. It's like uh, it, I'd call it like embarrassing rock. <laughs> yeah. Wanna dude, I've <laughs> dive into like, that or no, no, I, I dude, I kind of know if if you allow me. Where to it's like if you like your this music, idea. you're probably embarrassed by it now. And oh, also yeah. I think if you perform <laughs> this music too. Yeah, you don't yeah, that's want what I'm you don't want like a tape of this to resurface yeah. of the early mm. of your early days. Like I was saying, going back to the aforementioned like open mics. I think Chef himself, and the the review talks about it, where he's like kind of self aware. Where you, even like him in the middle, like him, like his heart on the sleeve voice. I think even he is like, okay, I'm a little. Yeah, <laughs> this is out of my range. This is all a little embarrassing, but I and gotta I, push through. And I'm wondering if this kind of like truth, bombastic, very like emotionally raw vocals, and also like kind of just strummy guitars and kind of hitting, you know, kind of high registers and things. I wonder if that has to do with embarrassment. And that's the way you power through it live. You're just like, fuck it. Like I'm really nervous. I'm really like, you know, I have to be vulnerable. So I kind of overcompensate by being. Yeah. Uh, warts and all kind of loud yeah loud and abrasive in, in such a way and i think we should say this guy was probably losing his mind over those early modest mouse records right like this has brock all over it i would say yeah. like yeah i would I say know. yeah as he's a way more straightforward uh lyricist um i do think in terms of like um yeah, leaving it all on the table and um, being emotionally like open. I, I don't think he's way less of an idiosyncratic player. You know, he plays pretty much down the road. And yeah, so I think that true. might be more influenced by like, you know, the bright mountain eyes. goats and bright eyes and whatever. But mm -hmm. I yeah, I definitely would say there is some things of like kind of the more lush arrangements and things that they do with this. I definitely bright eyes is kind of the set, set a template. for these Also, I think. Uh, sorry not to cut you off there but 
but I think that mod the what you can they have a similar uh like approach to sound. I think you could say that. Like Modest Mouse likes to put in a lot of interesting noise and stuff behind the songs, or at least they did during that this period. Um but the these guys definitely incorporate which again was going on at the time where there's you know found sounds and a lot of weird little things going on between songs and stuff like that. Too much like digital hiss for no reason. Yeah, interstitials, <laughs> like kind of doing he, doing the, their own version of like the hip hop skits, but they, it was just like a well, little out of tune piano. Everybody, maybe like a sample. I think everybody around this time, two thousand five, you had to try to be like, okay, maybe we'll be the American Radiohead. <laughs> I'm just gonna <laughs> throw some tape bleepy bloopy shit at the end of a song and see what the critics say about that maybe we'll get some radiohead comparisons move some of these cds <laughs> maybe get the tour have a more euro appeal <laughs> yeah kind of like get us yeah. to europe <laughs> yeah because people in belgium can yeah they can relate to radiohead more than they can relate to some kid from like suburb outside of austin where it's kind of like a very american-ish sounding experience you know and and set of musical textures and tones yeah. i don't know but adrian let's give us a detailed history give us every single band member that ever played in this band <laughs> give us their timeline you know you know uh when you go on like wikipedia you know you you're you know you're in for like a treat of a band when they have one of those timelines color, the color, the color, <laughs> color coded yeah. of like 500 fucking members <laughs> yeah like, dude it's like oh boy this is gonna be a rabbit hole that as, as, the, as the resident metal guy in this thing it is more insane for metal for some reason yeah, um, Prague, yeah oh it's crazy metal Prague, Prague rock but, too you could spend a day yeah, just looking up just, like the members of yes or whatever yeah but like the turnover rates are fucking yeah. insane <laughs> Yeah, like the twelfth keyboardist or whatever yeah. has a record from eighty-seven uh, to ninety-three, <laughs> and then again two thousand eight. Yeah, they always come back. These and, yeah. then some, and then some of them end up being the leader of the band, and then the band's called like and traffic, whatever traffic and this dude, you know. Yeah. Some, oh right. Legal, yeah. legal chicanery. <laughs> I mean, I I respect like Amandul just saying like you know what we're Amandul too. Fuck yep. it. <laughs> Run it it's back. True. Yep. Uh, Anyways, yeah. What's the history of this? Uh, so this album? I'm actually not going to dive into any of the other members of the band because why? Because uh, he's the chef, baby. You know, it's like he's the, it there's up. the main guy, oh, and, yeah. which isn't to say they're not important because they this is actually it's interesting because apparently this was like the high school band all throughout their first couple records up to this record uh so this is like this is this is still kind of the core of that of from when they were young from when they were you know jamming out in some garage in in high school uh but to get into the background of the, this record uh it was recorded in late 2004 and early 2005 at brian Beatty's wonder chamber which is located in austin texas it was self-produced by the band with uh brian Beatty, who is also a local producer there and he uh he helped the band quite a bit uh in terms of the sound but i think it was a lot of uh will chef's uh hand at, at the you know at the console deck as well um it was released by jaguar on april 5th 2005 it is their third studio album 
And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first uh, Jag Jaguar release we've ever done. I think so. It, maybe there was a reissue of something that we did. Might have came out as like an imprint thing or something from them. Or We didn't do Devendra Banhart yet? No, not yet. Oh. Shockingly. Uh, but the Jag Jaguar is a is a great uh is a great label and they have actually they have a lot of artists similar to in vibe to, to ockerville river yeah uh, and but uh this so after releasing the previous two albums the band was struggling financially uh pretty pretty hard actually and and they kind of saw this record is their last chance at releasing something you know that was meaningful and worthwhile and you know kind of their last their last gasp, their last chance to make a make a mark and really make the band work uh and they actually they decided that if it didn't work they would just kind of disband um but uh, i have a little quote here from will chef himself about this period uh he says we were sleeping in the van on the streets of san francisco following the release of their previous album i was completely broke in order to continue doing the band i made the decision that the only way to afford it was to keep was to give up the idea of having a home i didn't have anywhere to stay on earth friends let me stay in their guest rooms or couches but i was a drifter so he was literally homeless when he was recording this at times and down and out in san francisco I'm sure he had parents he could move back in with. <laughs> probably, <he had> to. <laughs> probably, but but yeah, he man. he slept like he slept in the shack where they practiced rehearsing for the record while he was uh, doing a minimum wage job. He worked at Vulcan Video, in in I think that's in Austin. But while he was working on the previous records, he became obsessed with Tim Harden, particularly the song "Black Sheep Boy," which gives the the name to this record and kind of a thematic like the overall thematic vibe and, and, you know, and the stories in the songs are all kind of tie back to the black sheep boy song. Mentions it was it also, he does mention it. Yeah. And uh, on the record. And um, it was also influenced by, a, I guess, a really super tumultuous relationship that he was in at a time at the time. And you can kind of hear that in, in oh, some yeah. of these songs. You think any sure. of these guys relationship were not tumultuous? <laughs> I mean, he's got to get lyrics. For yeah, these guys somewhere. like, uh, do you guys ever see that? Uh, it's kind of problematic, but it's still uh, kids in the hall sketch called uh, with Mississippi Gary. Yeah. Um, it, it involves blackface, so I will, I do not condone it. But um, there is this dude where Mississippi Gary's like, I got hurt. I got hurt real bad. And then they like, inter- then they go to cut to interview his girlfriend and his girlfriend's like, Mississippi Gary's a, he's a, he's a nice guy, but let's just say he, he kind of brings his work home. You know, he's supposed to be like this old blues musician. <laughs> Always thinking about that with like these dudes. Yeah, where it's just he's like, got some stalker vibes. Yeah, on there's some like occupational <laughs> yeah. like hazards relationship wise with like there's some tox- toxicity on here. Yeah, right. But I think that's part of the part of the storytelling elements, and you know, it's kind of the you know I I don't know. It's it's probably it's embellished uh, truth, I'm sure. But he really took to the to to the recording and was really. Uh, focused on it during the t- this time he recorded a bunch of uh, field recordings when he was in Berkeley California and he emailed those clips which were like household chimes broken water pumps that he slowed down and manipulated and you know reversed and that's kind of a lot of the sonic texture stuff that we were talking about earlier uh, and the producer he loved working with a band so he he 
did kind of take it upon himself to take care of them while they were, you know, recording this, I guess, uh, Will chef was kind of running between, you know, recording sessions and his job, picking up shifts where he can. And, you know, it, I think the quote was something like, you know, he was running across town and he'd come back, smoke a joint, uh, we'd record, and then he'd know he'd do, he'd do it all over again the next day. Uh, so these guys were, you know, really working hard to get this out there and, and, it, you know, as terrible as this is when they finished the album and, and started sending it out to the press, a lot of them were like, no, we're passing. We're not going to review this. It's you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. they were just like, seriously, like we're fucked. Uh, that is until they started tour with the Decemberists and received a really nice review in the New York times. And that kind of put them on the map a little bit. Uh, Cause I think they had a little bit of a following after those first two records, but nothing near as much as after this record. Um, and then it did get included on, as you mentioned, no pitchforks best of the year. And I think before that it was even on the overlooked records of the year list, uh, which helped, you know, again, bring it, bring it into the spotlight, but eventually it did receive critical acclaim and it helped put them back, you know, and back on track and back into uh, being able to make music uh, as a lit for a living. Um, and then the only other note I have is that in the fall of 2005, they released kind of a follow-up EP, which is a bunch of collects a bunch of unused and unfinished songs. It's called the black sheep boy appendix. Um, and if you listen on Spotify, the, the whole second disc is on of the, the 10th, 10 year anniversary uh, of this record uh, includes that whole thing as well as some other tracks you got to get that shit removed or it's gonna burst <laughs> uh, let's but just yeah, say that's, like that's an appendix it's a little unnecessary a little indulgent <laughs> if you took it out <laughs> you're all the better yeah um it's funny i think like this style of music like 2005 would have been the last year that Pitchfork would even champion something like this, this sort of hard on your sleeve, Americana tinged kind of emo ish delivery. Like, I don't, I think like they kind of turned their backs on all these bands, like the Wrens, the thermals, Bright Eyes, hold steady after a while. It was kind of like 2005 was the last of like the horn rimmed white guy, you know short story writers with well you know what i call it and shit that's called blazer rock baby yeah (laughs) it's like the last of the blazer rock but the thing was i think they might have abandoned these bands because those bands did pretty well for themselves in terms of like touring you know doing pretty like medium-sized touring packages as well as you know this is kind of like bonnaroo's and uh lollapalooza is coming back pitchfork you know festival those kinds of things it could be commercially viable to be like a band like that you know it wasn't going to be too alienating to the larger public and it would just had a uh i don't know it had like a crossover appeal yeah um, but, so but crossover i, I appeal, feel like but... maybe pitchfork didn't feel obligated to kind of carry water for these bands because they knew they're like one they weren't really touching on anything that remarkable or that progressive but maybe like before they would have championed these bands more because they like just needed to support the whole scene and kind of move whatever yeah, big because it was big, big tent indie further along you know and to and expose it to the publics but then 
I don't know. Maybe after this, they're just like, okay, these bands are going to be fine. We can be a little bit more critical of them. And there's more of them. There's more, there's more interesting things to. Yeah. Cause to like a band, of. a band like that also would come around this time and had like crossover appeal would be like, like gaslight anthem. Yeah. Like Pitchfork was never going to put that as like a best new music. It's too earnest. It's like not well, cool. I think- I think they did actually get. Oh, a, did they see? Yeah. See, but or at least I don't a, know, a good review for sure. I don't know anybody, anybody, and I know a lot of people that were super into like all things indie in 2005, including myself. But I don't know anybody that still listens to this type of music. This kind of all it's, country. It's almost emo like I was Americana. saying what I was saying. It's it's turned into. You see them on the 10 year anniversary tour, and it's drinking music yeah um because yeah yeah and a lot of these bands were you know taking their work home for the drinking music (laughs) too well i was gonna say this is one of those bands that is more known for being on the poster with other bands than than i think people Mm -hmm. actually listen to them like like you know they toured with the decemberists so you see them on the thing with the December. oh ockerville river i heard of them because they're toured with whatever i don't i don't know yeah it's it's interesting because I think this this definitely was the shift from that. And then I think now there's kind of this running joke that they don't give anything that's sort of emo, anything above an eight, unless it's you know actually really yeah. really really good. This yeah. is real. This is real. Like third stage at Coachella, like one p.m. slot vibe. This type <laughs> of band. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to like. Yeah, to get these good bands. Any band that's like the leads, it's a fully electrical band, but the bleed singers playing an acoustic guitar i think that's a good <laughs> yeah they, they also i think the they got is. i don't know i think they get eaten up by the bigger bands of this style like like death cab for cutie or something kind of sucks that oxygen and siphons off the young kids that are getting into this type of music i think they just skip over okerville river yeah well I think it's also just done better by other bands and that get, you know, I mean, like this is, you know, or like Wilco, but then, you know, even a few years later down the line, you know, Sharon Van Etten and some other, you know, uh, female artists who are doing the same kind of thing. They're just more interesting. Waxahachie for sure. You know, Angel Olsen, whoever was taking this big thief whoever's taking this kind of you know folksy americana thing and yeah, and i mean rightfully so like enough with like the sad white guy <laughs> singing about like wanting to kill either himself or a young woman for not you're not you're him. not a hobo johnson fan no? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how dare you i know you're taking shots at. i know but like enough of these murder metaphor songs like i could stab you in the eye i don't know i like, I, I, like I, I i totally agree but the murder ballad as like a these song murder ballads this goes is like, back I'm to gonna, the beginning of recorded like american gonna, music are, yeah these are like incel ballads They're yeah not, this oh, is totally. a threat this is a threat yeah, this is a like restraining order rock. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and uh, do you red think flag that, rock? Yeah, for red sure. flag rock. Do you think the band that kind of killed all this shit and maybe over market corrected for all of it was Fleet Foxes? Was that like the natural like the arc of that? It was like the yeah. kind of what it ended on? Even though I don't know, we'll I, get I to really, all, we'll get to think, these fucking other bands. Let's. I don't move think on. too yeah. much about them. But the one the one question I did have when I ask is about austin at this time so like austin has always been you know it's like 
the liberal kind of freaky city in the middle of an otherwise pretty conservative state. So it always kind of drew in the, the second largest state in the country. So it always kind of drew in a large amount of artists and filmmakers and bands and things. And like, but um, at, at this time, do you think it was kind of like how in Seattle, they were kind of signing bands, you know, from Seattle. And then later they went and did the whole Minneapolis thing, or that was even before. And then like Athens, Georgia and things. So there's always like these little, these little pockets of these different kinds of college towns and cities. And I feel like at this time with Oakerville river, they might've rode that, um, that wave, yeah. you know, there was a lot of bands coming out of that, you know, with your spoons and, you know, are the, the band that, the trail that of the we mention every episode, um, what made Milwaukee famous. I think a bunch of bands. I mean, I'm just kind of like, what was going on there? Cause I don't know if there's actually like an Austin sound, other than it being yeah. kind of comfortable sounding emo it might have something to do with a kind of south by southwestification yeah, of like things too you know like because austin like you're saying it definitely has its own it's always had artists come out of there and they've always been kind of unique and and it's not necessarily a sound that you could latch, latch on to it like as much as like you know Omaha or somewhere like that, you know, yeah, where there is yeah. a specific kind of sound. Um, but I think, yeah, I think they did kind of, I don't know if they rode the wave, but I think they were part of that same sort of the initial kind of internet boom kind of yeah. thing. And then also, yeah, just, just, you know, yeah, playing festivals, playing connect, it, it making connections with other bands. It seemed like maybe at this time, like every, sixth band was from austin you know mm-hmm, <laughs> like yeah. you, had, you had all your usual sucks like new york la um seattle at some point that's pretty entrenched and then yeah and then it was kind of just a bunch of austin i bands think a lot of these punk. bands caleb the whole austin part that goes of back it, to punk too i think yeah. a lot of these bands caleb the whole austin part of it was a lot of them i think probably started playing in high school and they had a reaction against like austin kind of country Mm-hmm. So they're like, we're going to be an emo band. Yeah. But then they're like, you know what? My dad's like Willie Nelson records are pretty cool. So like, yeah. let's incorporate that. As and well. also with what you're touching on, the, like the country thing is just the infrastructure was them that was there for them yeah. being like a city that is just like super dense with, you know, known as the live music capital of the world, just super dense with different venues. And, you know, maybe on a Tuesday night, you're not going to book out some bar on sixth street with you know a touring act but yeah you can have like explosions in the sky early versions of that play you know mm. and and all and austin also had a pretty big like kind of midwestern their own version of it it's not midwestern but like heartland emo you know bands like mm-hmm. bedhead and mineral and um you know other bands came out of there so that's kind of you know yeah and you can draw a pretty a straight, straight line to okerville river from like kind of emo stuff so I just wondered through osmosis if that's kind of kind of form their sound and connected to the whole Austin yeah. thing of it. Well, all right. Yeah. Well, what's next? Well, uh, <laughs> let's talk about our personal histories. How did we get into this album or not? Who wants to go first? I can go first because I rarely do. And I kind of have a history with this album a little bit. Um, I don't want to assume that you guys don't, but based on our text exchanges. I might be a little light in those pockets this week. Um, you would not be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to kick it off. And 
So I got this, long-standing history. I got fucking beef with. I got chef. beef with the chef, dude. <laughs> One, don't call yourself the chef unless you're fucking Ray Kwan. <laughs> That's your first mistake. Um. Anyways, yeah, it was. Uh, this is definitely a summer of 06 hard drive jam. Um, shout out to Pat, buddy. Uh, we did met Jen, did summer camp, and then I went back up to Humble and uh had just like a bunch of burn cds and like a new hard drive with just all the shit that he was giving me um a whole bunch of like bands like jam bands all countries sad bastard shit you know um and this one just ended up on there and i didn't really know anything i was just kind of going through it one day and kind of listening to stuff that i i was wearing like the devandra banhart and that kind of stuff i was really into i was kind of wearing that out so i needed something i don't know a little different so i came came upon this one and I dug it, you know, it really kind of um, touched, touched me uh, as a sad boy, real sad boy hours music. I was doing the long distance thing with the wife, Jen. And um, so it was like kind of, and it was still a little bit weed and other stuff addled. And, you know, and so, you know, I was a little more contemplative in those times. And I, and being 19, like I said, you're not emotionally stable or intellectually stable or anything when you're 19. So and I never That's really why you a, start a band, Caleb, and then you could be emotionally and intellectually unstable for the rest of your, your life. life. And, <laughs> and maybe for a short time, financially stable, but then probably not. <laughs> um, yeah. And I never really had like an emo phase per se or pop punk phase or any of that shit. I always, I was like kind of having older brothers who were like into hardcore when I was supposed to be into that stuff or kind of heavier shit or I don't know, more intellectually. I don't, I don't know. It sounded like elitist or anything i don't know more challenging so i never really had an emo thing santa marie didn't have like a lot of there's kids who were into it but not the kids we were hanging out with definitely not the kids there weren't bands playing that kind of stuff so like what my version of that so where you're kind of contemplative emotionally raw music came in the form of what i use broadly as sad bastard music shout out jack black and high fidelity yeah definitely um, <laughs> this is definitely a sad bastard. and i mean for those who don't know sad bastard is was he talking about bell and sebastian in that scene yeah yeah, yeah. The boy with the, <laughs> boy arab, the arab strap, strap. So so that every... song um seymour stein yeah. yeah so it's like for the listener I, you can make your own conclusions about what that means it's just it's it's very um yakubian oriented music um very caucasian <laughs> and um i feel like it's always kind of like sadder uh emotionally yeah and coming from a darker place it's generally a little bit more um minimal you know kind of straightforward maybe just like pseudo intellectual yeah, but some of it's pretty smart, you know. Uh, it could be a little bit louder and like full band, but generally, I always thought it was kind of like along the terms of just like singer songwriter stuff. I think the first sad bastard shit I was really into was probably Bonnie Prince Billy, because um, I got into him when I was like in high school, and um, so that was kind of what my emo was, you know, my version of it. And um, yeah, I was just nineteen. And, you know, just on really strong weed and sitting in the rain a lot. And I would listen to, you know, so when I was getting into Townsend's and Iron and Wine and stuff, it was like, kind of, you know, that stuff's pretty smart music, you know, at least lyrically and songwriting. And um, so I felt like I was like getting somewhere with it. I feel it was fulfilling my kind of 
my needs. Um, and then this, this, this kind of like was one of those peripheral bands for the sad boy hours. You know, I'd put this on when I was thinking about Jen or writing letters to her or whatever, or, um, Aww. Oh yeah. You know, Hey, it worked out everyone. Spoiler alert. We just had our 15th anniversary. Um, Aww. Hell yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, so yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was good. You know, it, I really liked it. I liked the um, the earnestness of it. You know, um, I liked his lyrical styles. You know, his lyricals, his lyrics are pretty straightforward, and there's not a lot of kind of like poetry and metaphor. I I liked the flow of them, and I could definitely like see how it'd be influenced by like people like Tim Harden and that like kind of singer songwriter stuff, where it was like. It was more like storytelling, but in kind of like the Raymond Carver way, you know, rather than the, I don't know, some of those more poetic. It's just kind of like setting a scene, but using plainer language and um, having like, and like Leonard Cohen too, like just had kind of having a flow to it and it's very wordy. Um, and I like that about it uh, as opposed to kind of the more freak folk kind of stuff I was listening to that was like definitely more, I don't know acid drenched and um just like uh i don't know imaginary and stuff so i liked that and i liked how he laid that all out um you know i was into bands like you know wilco or whatever so like the kind of rootsy americana thing kind of worked for me and that kind of band that full that fuller band sound that it has with like multi-instrumentalist stuff keyboards um mumford and sons those are your boys those are my boys yeah dude hey <laughs> don't let the cancel mob fucking get you hold strong boys sons <laughs> my sons um yeah and uh yeah i like that just like i, I really was like this at a time when i was really 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 into pedal still like anything that had pedal still like i heard really fucking real yeah i heard uh fucking like sweetheart of the rodeo and the grievous angel and all that shit for the first time and just like fucking fell head over heels in love with the pedal steel and this album has some pedal steel on it so any of that was like that bar band kind of full ass sound i was like into and i liked that because it was like kind of lush in its own way you know and um yeah listen to it a lot and um mostly at night like i was saying and um yeah it just kept me going it was nice it's nice easy rockers too because it's not a hard album to get to at that time definitely at that time um so yeah it was it scratched an itch and then i would just listen to it here and there and i never got into the albums previous to it i don't know if i ever just bothered to download them or find them on cd or whatever um so i just only listened to this one and then i don't think they released anything else that stage names record till like 2008 or maybe they did like an ep or something in between but i i had kind of moved on you know yeah. um, they had like a three album run that was yeah like pretty that was popular. pretty popular but like i said this mm -hmm. was like i was one and done with this band with this album and like i said probably by the you know 2007 when i turned 20 it wasn't 19 anymore i don't think i listened to it um <laughs> yeah other than like yeah and i had that song of stone that's on this album that was like on a mix that i had made for jen or ouch or some friends <laughs> Red that i made for a friend or made i don't know made about jen or something i don't know i had it on a mix of like kind of uh i don't know sad sad boy shit so and that would come up every once in a while but like i said definitely not black sheep boy beyond the 19 so um cool yeah so nice. that's my that's my history um i can go story. to the next caleb because i have a fairly similar history 
in that um, our friend Pat, friend of the pod, I actually got this album through him as well. And I listened to this album in like 2005. Is that we were like in his bedroom in his parents' old house and he was just burning a bunch of shit for us? So that's separately? Well, yeah. So that's what I'm going to say. It was around 2005, 2006 or whatever. This album mm-hmm. was fairly fresh. And what happened was I listened to this album a lot, but it was kind of not by choice because I had gotten for Christmas an iPod Nano. Oh, okay. So I happened to be hanging out at Pat's house. You're moving up in the world. Yeah. And I was like, hey, let me rip some stuff. I was like, you got iTunes? And he's like, yeah. So I just put like 12 random yeah. albums on there from there. And, and uh, this was one of them. So like when you have an iPad Nano, you know, a lot of times you're listening to the same 10, 12 albums like over and over. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I'll listen to uh, Black Sheep Boy again. And like you said, Caleb, I was at the time, yeah, around 21 or so. And I was definitely going through, I had dropped out of school. I was living back in my hometown Living in a van in San Francisco. Yeah, I was kind of looking at a video around. store. I was bouncing around, working at a deli, maybe delivering pizzas at this time. You were chef, you were doing your own will chef kind of thing. Yeah, and um, so I was gravitating towards kind of sad bastard music, like definitely like the sadder Wilco songs. Uh, I was listening to a lot of like the Bob Dylan, like kind of his love songs. Uh, listen to like bell and sebastian like some like the tom waits like ballads yeah stuff like that tom uh, waits was definitely a big big pillar of these yeah. days for me too yeah so i listened to this a lot surprisingly even though i would never say it like really spoke to me because the whole emo tinge to his voice was just a little too aggressive for me like i was like never into that i never had a mm-hmm like an AFI phase or, you know, I never had that kind of pop punk phase. And there, there's some, there's some weird pop punk DNA with this chef guy that always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But I like that sort of bluesy Americana stuff at the time. Like, and I, I was listening to that bright eyes album. I'm wide awake. It's morning. That was like the only bright eyes phase I ever had. That album is so pivotal for me. It came out on my 18th birthday. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, dude. And I did not care on my 18th birthday at all about that band. But I always like to tell people that. That line that he has where he says, we must memorize nine numbers and deny we have a soul. <laughs> I felt that mood. That was Hashtag so mood. true. It's like, how dare you, society, make me memorize my social security number that's so oppressive yeah what am i gonna do apply for a job and need to know that i'm a fucking artist you can't get me to work so Uh, presumptuous of you but uh anyways i would argue if you have a social security card that's like proof that you have a soul you're like a living resident of the united states but anyways (laughs) um so yeah, it was just kind of a year fling for me with this album. It was on my Nano. I was trying to think what else I had on that Nano. I had like, um, I think I had a, a Deer Hoof album. I think I had Apple O on there. 
Were you really into this Blur album? Which there was like, I feel like at this time you were yeah, really thirteen. Oh, thirteen, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that would get played a lot. <laughs> Coffee and TV, baby. <laughs> it's a good record. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, that's a good banger. The, the, op- the opening track is good on there. Um, I had oh, I had the um, I was thinking about this album today, the Moldy Peaches. Oh, oh yeah. I don't oh. Wow. That album, had, like, uh, talk uh, about an album that does not exist. Like that, <laughs> other than like the Juno, maybe that's why the people that are our age that like liked Moldy Peaches, like in earnest, once it became such a kind of twee affectation for that Juno movie, because it, yeah. it was featured so heavily on the soundtrack, that I think mm-hmm. people kind of soured on it on yeah. the band. I feel like, like Kimia uh, Dawson kind of made a career out of, you know, based on that, out of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just like a sad bastard phase for me. And this kind of like hit the spot a little bit. I didn't love it. I would, I'd rather just listen to like Wilco or something. If I was listening to kind of countrify alt country, sad boy music, but, uh, yeah, I could relate to this black, black sheep boy. Nice. What about you, Adrian? So this one's interesting because of the three of us, I have probably the least experience with this, which I think is unusual uh, for this podcast. But yeah, I I really, honestly, this band, I had heard the name for a long time. I had, like, as you're saying, we had friends that were into them. You know, Pat, I definitely heard that listening, you know, in his cars with Pat on trips or whatever. Uh, some of our other friends, you know, I'd go over to their house and we'd smoke pot and drink and listen to, you know, sad bastard music. Uh, but yeah, so I have, but I, this never really made an impression on me. Honestly, I, I heard those tracks. I heard those songs probably mostly from this record. Uh, maybe the one before, I don't know, but it, it just never really sank in with me. I don't know, which is in hindsight, very weird because <laughs> this, like everything about this band is exactly what I was into at the time as well. Yeah. You know, I, the Americana tinged kind of folksy, but also playing with manipulated sounds and yeah. noises, kind of just you know, over, overdone music in general. <laughs> you know? Well, let's, uh, yeah, I'll get Yankee into it. Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah. <laughs> right Styling. exactly or like the, as they mentioned in like the review like the you know neutral melco that band made a huge impression of us on us at this time oh, and yeah. like, there's some yes. some dna i haven't listened definitely. to that album in years yeah i yeah. you know years. i i'll listen to that every once in a while but you know again it's like all that stuff that we were that we were into like i i just never picked this up for whatever reason again unusually because you know it sounds like you you guys were all we were all you know sharing music at the time but i just i never uh yeah this one never caught with me so you think it was really... like a thing where we didn't want to share bands like this because we're like uh, you know <laughs> like it's kind of well personal. maybe maybe you two but pat yeah. definitely you know or yeah so, you know, they <laughs> yeah. we definitely would have been like oh fuck you know you got to listen to this you know yeah to totally but so, i feel like there's always those like kind of bands that you keep around um that you don't share with other people not that you don't like you want to keep them as your own you know you have a sense of propriety but it's more just not embarrassed but necessarily it's like, embarrassing rock like i said yeah <laughs> but i don't know if it's like embarrassing you just don't want to show your your emotional side of that you know we're all kind of like growing up in the patriarchy and it's kind of like ah but like if i recommend this band to somebody they'll listen to it and they might yeah. be like you good dude i, I like, understand that kid it was kind of like how like 
I listened to ABBA for years, like only by myself before I had the courage to be like, dude, let's listen to ABBA tonight while we drink because it's <laughs> yeah. fucking good. I'm, so, I'm yeah. still pretty self-conscious about a lot of the sad bastard shit yeah. I listen to. You'd be surprised. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Adrian. No, no. I mean, I think it's, you know, as you're saying, I think we all have those kinds of bands. For me, I think at the time, I probably, again, it's just this this should have been one of the ones in my rotation, but I just never, I never grabbed it. I never, I feel like in the back of my head, it was always one of the ones that was like, oh, I'll get to that eventually after I, you yeah. know, get through all the songs, Ohio stuff, after I get through all the whatever, Caliphone or whatever the fuck else I was listening to at the time, yeah. you know, I'll get to that one. And I just never did. Uh, so yeah. I really, you know, I have no history with it in, in terms of like seriously listen to it. But, you know, I definitely heard the songs. They didn't really make an impression on me, but I, you know, they were there and I, I recognized some of the stuff when I listened to it, but it wasn't enough to get me to get me to, to download the record or listen to them beyond, you know, with friends. Yeah. Car. Right on. Um, yeah. So before we chat about our current feelings, uh, we actually do have a, a voicemail, baby. Ring, ring. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Um, this is comes from a friend of mine, Daddy Nate, um, who's also a former radio DJ uh, down in Santa Cruz. So this guy knows in the mid aughts. So this guy knows his stuff. Um, oh, and yeah. he's a Oakerville River guy, you know? Wow, we found had, one. Had I known him, <laughs> we had found I known him, him that time, he might have recommended it to me. You know, my uh, more depth with this man. But um, yeah, let's listen to his uh, his retelling of his experience with this record. Hey guys, this is Nate. First time, long time. I'm calling in to talk about Ockerville River and Black Sheep Boy. I don't know exactly how I got chosen for this. I think I was maybe the only person who Caleb ever heard say anything positive about the band. Um, Anyway, uh, let's see. The first time I heard any of these songs um, on this album was actually at a live performance. I saw them playing at Bimbo's in San Francisco. Uh, They were opening up for the Decemberists. Uh, Yes, their shtick had not gotten old yet. Um, I really remember enjoying the show. Uh, but it did not <laughs> reflect what that album actually sounded like. Uh, Will Chef was just falling down drunk. Uh, he looked like he had just rolled out of, I don't know, a gutter uh, and was basically just screaming <laughs> the lyrics. Um, I do remember I enjoyed the record and I played it a few times, but it took me probably a couple of years to really like uh come to appreciate that it was you know maybe my favorite record of theirs um their first two records i think are good but they're just very like unfocused you know they don't really um yeah they don't really hang together and then after black sheep boy like the next couple records are they were like broke through and were much more successful and it's just like a lot of like kind of big upbeat sort of anthony songs and those are very fun but you know they're just kind of like empty calories like they don't um you can tell from the the sort of the general tone that they're like not homeless anymore you know things are have really started to turn around for them um but yeah i i really prefer the kind of the more emotionally raw sad songs um so black sheep boy is kind of the sweet spot for me you know they're they're sort of uh they're, they're sort of at the height of their musical powers and still have their edge a little bit. So 
anyway, that's that's my piece. And I will say I randomly did see them like five years ago in Montreal. Um, and I guess Will Chef got sober or something because he was like wearing a cardigan and, and very, uh, very quiet and was actually shushing people who were talking during the show. So, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, really do enjoy the show. Keep up the good work, guys. Bye. Nice. That's how Thanks you do it. Kind words. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Take note, listeners. We need more input like that. He nailed it, though, about the whole, like, how they cleaned up their act kind of on the, the subsequent albums. Because, yeah, yeah they're, mm-hmm. they're like, we can write these anthems and, like, make some money touring. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep, yep. And he must have saw them on that Backstreet Boy 10-year anniversary <laughs> yeah, five years yeah, ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It all checks out. All right. Well, when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about how we're feeling about the album now. Sweet. Stick around for that. Thanks, Nate. You rule, man. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Nate. And we are back. Hope everyone had a good break Um, with no ads. So (laughs) here we are. Um, Yeah, so having listened to this album, in the past, you know, a couple of weeks, uh, what are our thoughts now you know, about it on the revisit on the re-listen? I can go. Um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised because yeah, I, we had a bit of a saga with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first time I texted you guys, I was like, oh, I'm struggling to get through this album. Yeah, I think even before it was like officially assigned, it was just like, oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah. This band. Because you forget I, what this band's deal was. You forget, it's like, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about the whole. Too. I forgot the fact that I owned the iPod Nano. That's so unlock. It unlocked all these Nano memories for me. My, <laughs> walking around listening to is the a same. Nano memory like a small <laughs> yeah. memory. Walking around listening to uh, the same like ten albums over and over again, and it's weird because. I usually, I have a, just like a visceral reaction to like super emotive, like guttural voiced young white guys singing. It's usually not my deal at all. If there's even a tinge of emo, like one drop spoils the, the punch, you know, it's just like, it's not for me, but this album I found kind of charming. Like I will say it, it definitely grew on me and I definitely had, I mean, I like to just listen to music walking around anyways, but it definitely did get me back to like living in Santa Maria, like 2005, you know, walking to the library and checking out like a, whatever Kurt Vonnegut book or something. And like a, Truffaut movie and like a Bell and Sebastian album, and then listening called to called a Saturday baby, yeah, <laughs> listen, listening to the Black Sheep Boy. Um, so wait, I, you listened to this and Bell and Sebastian like simultaneously? No, I like listened to this like on the way to the library, right? Okay, to get your like, little yeah, your little three pack, my little haul. <laughs> yeah, like, no, dude, I'd go crazy. I'd get like, I think you could get at one time you get five books. Mm-hmm six vhs fuck yeah and um five, uh, six cds as well yep or i think it maybe is six six and six the six six pack and uh i would even go 
you could get six at a time one day and then you could come back the next day and get six at a time so like i'd always be juggling like my returns and stuff and then it got to the point where like if they knew you they wouldn't even charge you for late fees they'd be like whatever fuck it <laughs> um, yeah see to all our conservative listeners out there socialism does work and it's called the fucking santa maria library <laughs> i know jesus <laughs> God, the internet is not everything, kids. Sometimes yep. you need a, you need better curation, like, yep. and you need really helpful, publicly funded employees with stable jobs trust, to turn you trust, on to things and to yeah. to curate your fucking cultural experience. And if it wasn't for libraries, I think a lot of us would be in a lot worse, you know, yeah. place. Yeah, don't trust big blog. Okay, <laughs> they don't always have your best interest. Yeah, they got an agenda. <laughs> If it ain't musty, the library is trusty. democratic. Yeah, <laughs> trust the must. Yeah, trust the must. Oh, can we get that on a T-shirt? <laughs> I like, always love how podcasts now. Every podcast seems to be like, oh, T-shirt, not on the T-shirt. It's like, how many T-shirts are you moving? You seem to have a new T-shirt every episode. I mean, yeah. if you go to pot, whatever pod swag or whatever, they're all of them have like thirty fucking shirts that are just these weird how's our account inside doing? jokes have you ever seen them? don't tell have you me ever, how's our account seen... doing good <laughs> no. yeah we're sold out oh good we got I'm, gonna shadow need some, I'm gonna need some money very soon have you uh, ever seen sure. anybody wearing a podcast shirt Any no, I, I, I generally avoid those types of people when i, I go to a podcast yes but other oh, than yeah. that no wait isn't that a, a violation of the rules of rock you're not supposed to wear the, uh, <laughs> the podcast i think i think it reverses that's encouraging everything yeah i think it reverses for podcasts like you have to wear the the podcast t-shirt yeah yeah and you're encouraged to sing along to the recurring bits i guess <laughs> i went to one no i've been to two podcasts and it was kind of like does this need to be a thing or do I need to be here? I don't know. <laughs> Guys, correct me if I've I'm been wrong. To a few. It's, Did it's I fun. hallucinate that there was before the pandemic that somewhere in San Francisco, I was at a show. I was outside smoking a cigarette. I look over and there was a marquee and it said podcast theater. Huh? I, I, mean, I feel dedicated like, to. Podcast? Yes. I feel like it was a building that somebody took over. It was like right across. It was on Valencia. It was like across the street from the fucking chapel. Hmm. And I need it's probably not in operation now because this probably would have been, I don't know, I saw like Yola Tango there or something like 2019. I and did that's go, how much of a pitch that it hit that, that yeah. I did go San Francisco see, real estate dedicated to that sort of thing. Yeah, that's I an investment. I, I guarantee you that's closed. Um, <laughs> it did not survive the pandemic. No, because everyone's uh, not homeless in a podcast. I did see one time Roman Mars do the 99% invisible. That and that cool. was actually kind of cool to Shout see. Out live. Oakland, baby. Yeah, it was local. It was in El Cerrito at El Cerrito High, actually, home of uh, CCR, baby. Hell yeah. But, uh, he, uh, he had his own soundboard. So he did all the drops live. And I was like, oh, okay, oh, I respect cool. that. That's cool. Nice. But yeah, anyways, Roman Mars that, is that's my history with um, seeing podcasts live. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, this sure. is the Metapod. We're going to talk about podcasts on a I podcast. <laughs> you only go to see a podcast live for the after drinks, the bar meetup, I guess, to just see them in person, shoot the shit for a little couple yep. seconds. 
If you order anything other than a sour or an IPA, you get kicked out. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about being a fancy boy and then having an aversion to anything emotional. Yeah. Who me? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Just that was my history. Adrian, you go. I got off track. <laughs> no, it's your current uh, reaction. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking about the Nano now. All the <laughs> albums I had on there. I had um wonder if I had that thing still around. I yeah, I gotta dig that up. It went through the wash. Oh, oh yeah. Classic. It worked, Let's see, it they're worked too small. for a little bit. It it went through the wash, it survived, worked for a little bit, and then it just died. Um, RIP. I think I you had... actually had a dirty projectors album on there, and that's just how it sounded. No. It actually was in completely <laughs> good shape. Well, I had Sonic Youth washing machines on there. Um, <laughs> nice. No, I had a uh, Melt Banana. I'm thinking right now. I had a Melt Banana album. Oh, I had a Colossal Youth, the Young oh, Marble nice. Giants. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a great record. Good. Yeah. Uh, ESG, Come Away with ESG was on there. Yeah. Damn, dude. I think at one point, it was right before I lost it, I uploaded. This is fucking embarrassing. Speaking of like. Embarrassment rock. <laughs> embarrassment rock. Um, bon, bon Iver. Um, oh, for Emma Forever Ago? For Emma Forever Ago. That's not well. That if we're, you know, since we're disclosing, I have that on vinyl. I've had it on vinyl for over, for over ten years. Original pressing? I, I think so. I <laughs> think. Is that a okay. I don't like <laughs> that <laughs> voice. <laughs> but um, Jen did buy it from a record store when we lived up north, and so that would have had to have been in two thousand nine. So nice. All right, Adrian, let's go. Get us back on track. <laughs> no, Noah, how do you feel about the album now? I told you. It's like it gave me a little hit of nostalgia. And um, Oh, okay. So you were you were Yeah, I was the, surprised. Down. Okay, cool. I was presently pleasantly surprised. Like it it didn't annoy me or nothing. It just um yeah, it, it kind of it's just like a younger man's music, you know, like feeling like down and out at twenty one or whatever. <laughs> not being able to see the uh forest through the trees type of thing yeah yeah that's a good that's a good segue actually into mine because i too was very pleasantly surprised by this record and i at, similarly i i struggled to get into like just like to put it on i don't know what it was like i liked like the first i liked the first song and everything it's just for whatever reason sitting down maybe is psychologically seeing like that that long long list of songs yeah <laughs> was something but <laughs> the 30 yeah the 30 You're like, fucking tracks what, is this what this album was about Can you, exactly. Spotify, you got to stop doing that i think it's a record label issue but yeah like, they really got to get some consistency stop shit. doing the deluxe only on the list of albums always have the original and stop even doing the the uh remastered because like on streaming you can't really even fucking tell just put the originals on there as well and yep. do it in chronological order Yep. Fuck. Yeah. I am yeah. slowly pulling up stakes from Spotify and just using uh, YouTube music way more for that reason. You can find what you're looking for. I got too many playlists on my Spotify. Yeah, that's true. Anyways. Yeah. So, yeah, I, uh, so that, that was kind of daunting at first for whatever reason. Uh, but I, once I got into it, I, you know, it's one of these records where the more times I listen to it, the more it, I like, I like it. It's definitely like, definitely a grower i i don't know 
if I had listened to this back in the day, if, you know, if I had got my hands on it, if I would, it would have been more immediate, but you know, now, like the first time I listened to it all the way through, I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. You know, it's not bad. By the third time or fourth time I listened to it, I was like, okay, these are actually really great songs. And he's, he, he does have a good, a good way with the words. Cause you know, that could easily <laughs> go bad. And there are, yeah, there are some moments where it's very much like, stalkerish or whatever but i think that's all playing into the characters he's writing about and you know there are also times when that vocal those vocal choices could get grating but i think he he's smart enough to rein it in just enough to where it's not going over into the red you know where it's not obnoxious i think he has a you know he balances that line really well uh which is one of the things that going into it i was like not looking forward to because it you know it, it it's very much like can make or break a record is is if you can get past the vocals i mean generally i i don't mind like i like a lot of different weird bad but you know quote-unquote bad vocals but sometimes they just they're just annoying or rub you the wrong way but well, it's this- like a great poet once said all my favorite singers couldn't sing yeah right <laughs> r.i.p r.i.p um but yeah so it it landed a lot better than i really expected it to to and you know once again i think this is a record for me where the production really pushes it over the edge um like this could just be a really just you know middle of the road pleasant record but there's a lot of little tech you know a lot of touches that that really a lot you know you could tell that they focus on the details so you know, there's little bits of electric piano throughout that I really like. I just love that tone, you know, and there's some uh, there's some moments where it's kind of um, phased a little bit. So it's got a nice woozy tinge to it, which I just really love. Uh, I, I actually I like the interstitial sounds. I mean, they can be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit over the top. But to me, it's like it fits and it, it helps kind of fit, fit all these songs together. You know, because they do kind of veer from from sort of slow into you know ballad things into more r- straight up rockers, and I think that helps kind of bring it all together. And I think live, it probably I know that a lot of bands do this live because it helps with transitions. You know, when they're changing guitars or whatever, you know, changing strings, tuning up, um, and also like a lot of bands do not do well on the banter. So I think that helps with the with that too. And I think you know it again, it helps keep everything cohesive and uh, feel like a, a piece. And then I really love the horns on this album. A lot of them are very reminiscent of Neutral Milk Hotel and other artists that I really like. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he uses them just enough or they use them just enough to where they don't become overwhelming. They're not, you know, like obtrusive. And they're not, they're also not like, throughout the songs like he, they'll introduce the horns or something and to punctuate certain moments um, and you know it's at some some points it does feel a little bit you know like okay this is definitely a 2005 record just in line yeah. with whatever else is going. <laughs> I have that in my notes later like those yeah. horn crescendos and drops that was like big band indie yeah yeah, yeah. but but it's used in kind of I don't know like Beirut would use it a lot and I think it's he, used for color, which I yeah, think is a lot color. better than it could just be used like, in more minimal settings, is what I was saying. So, yeah, yeah, destroyer that's, that's does that a lot. Yeah, um, the sad destroyer, that's sax, a great example, sad saxophone or something. And 
this band also reminded me of another band that really didn't exist, but the band Annuals. I don't know if you remember them at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we look um, back but... <laughs> the annuals of indie rock. That's actually what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but like they reminded me of them quite a bit. And actually I saw them live uh back in you know back in around this time. Uh, and they how many people got... at the show? What are we talking? Seven, eight? <laughs> there was a good you know dozen and then you know a few more at the bar but uh they got a good color-coded uh wikipedia thing down there the may bottom. have been more people there may have been equal amount of people on the in the band as we're watching that you know kind of thing but it was a good show and and they you know which is all just to say that this this is very reminiscent of the stuff at that time and i think that but i think that they <clears throat> you know they again they strike the right balance of of not overindulging in it you know which could be very easily could fall very easily into that and i think that the songs are just they're really well written and uh and and you know i'm not generally a lyrics person first generally i'm a music person first but you know the lyrics that did come through on these listens i did think like oh this is actually really pretty well put together and really again it could go it could go very bad but but he manages to steer clear of, of all of the, you know, the obnoxiousness of other records of, from around this time. Um, but yeah, so just, you know, closing out, I think I'm definitely probably going to spin this a few more times. I think it's definitely worth coming back to. Um, but, you know, I, it's, I don't know. It, it's one of those records where, again, like it's very easy to kind of forget about, <laughs> which is, which is not to say that it's boring or, or uninteresting. It's just, it's, again it, it's so of its moment and there's so many other artists doing the same exact thing that i i understand why they kind of in my own head why they kind of got back shelved but you know now i'm gonna pull them no way I think they I'll were all one band <laughs> well they yeah, all probably I mean, eventually did join each other's bands yeah. they probably oh and that's another thing indie, i didn't want to touch on is like i actually i probably have listened to Shearwater more than i listened to to these guys and i actually yeah. like Shearwater. I knew Shearwater by name, but never by sound. They're very, very similar vibes to this. I think they share like two or three members. Is it one of those things where it's like, did you guys really need to split into two different bands? (laughs) Kind of, but I think, you know, it's probably one of those things where some people weren't available. So they're like, oh, fuck it. Let's put together this other band. And then it kind of became its own thing. Uh, But yeah, I think. I think this is a this this is a good record if you give it a chance um it it'll really grow on you but you know it, you really do have to just put it on and sit with it to to really appreciate it it's not like it's not something that was is is very very immediate uh, at least not to my ears right on I did want to pick up on one thing uh your reference to the band annuals that band in a lot of ways is responsible for this podcast um, at least in my <laughs> memory because I remember the kind of like I always mention at the top of this you know my little intro that this literally did start from Noah being like what was that one band what was that sh- this shit sucks and then <laughs> so we'd go back and forth on that and I could not remember the band annuals because oh, annual. I bought th- their CD it was one of those bands like I found out about them first, which is actually pretty rare for me back in those days, and especially with indie. I like bought their CD, 
at Best Buy because I had like a gift card and it was kind of at a time where Best Buy's like mm-hmm. selection was just like dwindling down by the day. <laughs> and then uh, like I literally read on the sticker that was like kind of sounds like Animal Collective. And I was like, I didn't have a smartphone to like look up a review or whatever. And I was like, whatever, I need to fucking spend this $15 gift card. So anyways, I had bought it and I had told Adrian about it and some other people and I was like, oh, it's pretty good. And then I think Noah had like thrown some shade on it. And it was like, it's all right or whatever. <laughs> so anyways, that band was always stuck in the back of my mind. And then when we started talking in these group texts about all the shit that we're covering now, I could not remember them. And it drove me nuts for like a day. It like seriously got stuck in my craw. I couldn't, <laughs> I knew they had like the singular plural thing, which is a million fucking bands. And I even like took down all my old CDs that I had like in the closet at my old spot. I just couldn't figure it out. And I don't know what broke the memory dam and why like I figured it out. But Caleb, do you remember when it was me, you, Jen, and Kiki, and we were trying to collectively remember the band The Dodos? Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, wait, 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 wait. It was two guys. Like they had that one song. It was like Fools. That, ch- that Fools. chanting the wow. Yeah, they used like they used like, <laughs> like they used like gamelong. We're like, what is it? And I was yeah. like, it was, and we like somebody was like, wasn't it an animal? And it was like, yeah, but it was like a, it was like it was an extinct bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like who they'll like, definitely get it was covered. a good like hour of us just like yeah, which fuck? I think don't is, look at your phone. Don't yeah, look it was that is why we started this podcast ultimately is to like release a lot of that pent yeah, up because like, I mean my hypothesis memories. was always like a lot of this music just it's non-existent and maybe it doesn't need to be reevaluated it's just like yeah here we are but yeah sometimes (laughs) they surprise you right like this this was a surprise that it was actually way better than you know than expectations which were very low but still you know it's like there's albums that that get memory hold like this that should be listened to i think this is one of them you know It, it deserves to get spinned a few times it's not it's not a completely terrible record at all yeah for sure so Caleb, cool. give us yes. your yes, uh... yeah. So with me, like I guess the 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 pre the, the setting of this was like I had always remembered this band as a blazer rock band. I was just kind of like not too much to talk about, kind of very middle of the road, but not like on the annoying kind of precious side, which is like the other shit from this era that really gets into my fucking craw. So um. Yeah, I kind of just remember like, oh, it's going to be a little bit overdone and slightly pretentious, a la the Decemberists or whatever, right? Or just kind of unnecessary and just like, you don't need to have a band about all this, you know, you're fucking trying too hard. So that was like my expectation. And then, um, and then I listened to it. Like I said, I didn't get around to listening to it till like pretty late, late last week. And I was flip flopping at first because like the first song is like the cover and the vocals just come on real strong. He puts a lot of fucking whiskey and tears on top of that shit. And which makes sense because he's like on to Tim Harden. Tim Harden had a pretty pretty sad life. And that song's the original is pretty sad. And like I could see why he'd like formulate a whole album around it. A lot of stink. And so at first I found it kind of cloying. And like I said, basic like that fucking like, you know, blazer rock shit. And um, and then I did catch on to like, yeah, just like the um wailing vocals and i was like kind of saying yeah it had like kind of more pandering to the emo crowd or to like the sensitive 
Saddle Creek records listeners or whatever. So I felt it was like a little bit too naive and earnest and a little bit. I like raw music and sad music. Like that's not a non-starter for me. It's just I felt his application of it was a little bit much and just not. I don't know. It could have used some editing. And yeah, I don't know. I said at one point I texted. It sounded like corduroy, which is just kind of <laughs> like comfy, vaguely rootsy and comfy, you know, and just like kind of there. Uh, <laughs> no one's really that into it. And um, I definitely was like picking up on like, I was like, oh, this is like the like the little brother album, the Connor Oberst to the Bright Eye shit, even though they're probably contemporaries, you know? Yeah, it was just like, you know, it's like, I get it. It's vaguely Americana and rootsy and those kinds of things. But like I said, it was just a little overdone, but at the same time, underdone and just basic. And then, yeah, and just a little stylically un- uneven too, you know, because it has like those kind of more dirgy, almost like, I don't know, remind me of like the cutting room floor songs, Ohio stuff, or, or you know, uh, you know, Jason Molina before like he incorporated like the big live kind of bigger sound with uh, Magnolia Electric Company. But yeah, so, and then it kind of pivots to like that dirgy shit, but then it had kind of more high energy kind of rockers. And I felt like that was kind of uncomfortable pivot on the first couple of listens. And the whole like shambolic, alcoholic kind of thing. Alcoholic. Yeah, it's kind of calling <laughs> attention to him as like a, this, <laughs> the stage persona of just like, oh, I have floppy hair and I'm like fucking, you know, I'm just strumming away, just let it all out. You know, I felt that was like a little, little much. He was one of the first big beard indie weirdos, though. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then, yeah, and then, like, the whole the voice of it. I mean, like, the Pitchfork review, actually, right at this time around, like, it makes a lot It makes a lot of hay out of his voice. And that makes sense. It is very much up front on this album. And um, so that's kind of a lot to deal with. And then, like, the distinction between just being kind of mopey and sad bastard i feel like sad bastard music is like the good shit is just like very self-aware and knows what it wants to do and the mopey is just like look at me feel bad for me the sad bastard says like no this is my terminal condition and the lens through which i'm making music yeah the mopey shit's like a little it's like on the periphery of it it's like you have to have for me just pull me out of it i need it it's i don't know it's a little manipulative caleb can i interject here yeah of course anytime i think if you're doing the sad bastard kind of alt country tinge stuff, you have to have a real punch of like musicianship. Like you have to have like a muscle shoals kind of sense of arrangement, soul yeah. evoking, evoke like almost gospel. Like you could take it to church at any minute and not sound too embarrassing. Like, yeah. And it's a hard distinction between, I think this album um, toggles between those two modes. Um, I guess it's three modes with like, the really good kind of sad bastardy stuff. Um, and I think it's, I think those songs are a little more successful. The ones that he just kind of stretches out a little bit more and lays them out and yeah, uses a little bit more field recordings or, um, you know, more like droney kind of textures and things. I think those kind of that's more in his wheelhouse. That's kind of better than just kind of being mopey and just like, I don't know. It's like, take it one way or the other, dude. But like, nobody wants to hear Mopey. People do want to hear Sad. So it's a hard distinction to make, but I thought I'd bring it up anyways. But I got to say, over time, like, same experience that you guys were explaining, uh, describing, um, it grew on me. It, it reminded me a lot about 
what I liked about it back in the day and what I dig about similar music now, you know, like you can definitely there's stuff that the drive by truckers do her like a really big band for me or, you know, Wilco. And uh, like I said, the Jason Molina universe of bands where it's just like that kind of heartfelt heartland rocker stuff. Um, but with just a good handle of pop composition and uh and knowing how to use a full band that that's what kind of because at first you just kind of hear his voice and you hear the little like serious lyrics but then if you listen on subsequent listens because the production is pretty solid you, you can hear like a lot of like what's going on and i would feel like the recording is probably influenced a lot by the live sound you know of just like using you know like good use of like you know, the, I don't know if he's using a Rhodes or a keyboard or whatever, but good use of keys. And like I said, the, you know, the bass works really strong and like the pedal steel and all that kind of stuff. And so like it has a fuller, lush sound. And like the more I listened to it, I, I liked it for that. And I liked it for like, you know, the the sad bastardy Americana stuff that I like now. So I thought that like that was in his wheelhouse then of the band's wheelhouse then. And like they did a pretty good job of it. So over time, I was like. I was listening to a lot of it with Jen at one point. She was listening to one of the songs. She just said, this is awful. <laughs> and then we listened to it the other night when we were going to bed. Cause I was like, oh, I got to get my listens in, you know? And then she's like, the song's actually pretty good. And then so we had this, well, actually kind of back and forth. We're like, Oh, this song's actually pretty good too. So like at the end of the day, like it was, you know, kind of, it was cool to like t- take a 180 on this. And the one thing I do appreciate it about, though, and Noah was kind of touching on this earlier, where all these bands of this era felt compelled to use all like the bloops and bleeps and use like house elements or use, you know, music of the global south or, you know, whatever else. And I, what I liked about this was what was, was I was critiquing where it's just too basic and straightforward. But I like the fact that he doesn't use a lot of like try experimentation or unneed electronic elements or appropriating sounds that he's probably not qualified to, to use it just where he keeps it just, you know, in his own wheelhouse and in, in the pocket. And I think it's, it's a better album for that. So yeah, nice. it was, a, it was fun. It was a lot of ups and downs with it, but ultimately I think I'm up on it. Nice. Well, yeah. on that note, we should uh, should get into it. Yeah, let's listen to some of these some bitches. Who do you guys uh, order some slaps? Noah. Well, I just want to highlight one slapper because I think it is it explains exactly what we've been what I myself and Caleb you a little bit have been kind of trying to pinpoint where the kind of emo stuff breaks open and the vocals become a little grating and it becomes a little too basic and becomes it's kind of at war with itself where it's like earnest it's a little too earnest it's um it's evocative but maybe a little too evocative like pull it back there buddy like kind of you know don't just read from your diary type stuff and then the music wise i think it it splits the difference between like kind of rock and like emo rock indie rock and the whole alt country thing Mm -hmm. so i think it's kind of sums up the album and i think if you like this song you're gonna like the album if you don't like this song you're probably gonna be so so on the album so it's song number 
two, uh, for real. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, I totally hear what you're saying about that song being kind of the mission statement. The fulcrum <laughs> you know? point yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Why don't we give that a quick little listen? Do you have it from the get, right? That song just kind of yeah, jumps off. The yeah, jump off. Yeah. All right. Let's hear a little bit of for real. Um, and I just want to add, I did have this also as a highlight. I agree with everything you said, Noah. Um, because like the <clears throat> the intro song it sets it sets the tone but this one really sets up what the rest of the record is going to be and what the band sounds like itself yeah, I think yeah. The, the cover is like a little it's a cover you know, and that's like kind of an interesting way to start an album and to actually name the whole album after a cover not even which is right. the name of a tim Harden song so it's like you can't take that on face value as like the first song on the album anyway so this is like the true you know intro yeah yeah exactly here's a little for real some of those found sounds so quiet that quiet loud 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 quiet dynamic open up the pit like what's up new parish (laughs) (laughs) what's up golden ball that's too small Yeah, so that that was quite a bit of that song. We, we heard quite a bit of that intro, but yeah, let's get into no, a it's, a, it's, more a, it's, it's a good build up too. I'm like, um, there's a little chilled out kind of center of that song that yeah. I think encapsulates this sort of duality of this. Band. Yeah, kind of the, the the tension breaks a little bit and it gets a little yeah. more like yeah, yeah, actually takes it for a walk a little bit. A really, really, really that's a fun drinking game if you want to play at home. Listen to this song and every time he says real or really. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and every time he says black sheep boy yeah <laughs> yeah right he made this album I, for you to get drunk too folks like every time you hear a trumpet yeah ooh. Uh, i didn't want to play because there's solos on this record which is you know good to hear after a lot of the records that we've listened to have not had any uh but here's a little bit of that Yeah. So that could uh, get real bad real, real quick. But like you said, Agent, he like he walks you out to that. Yeah. He walks you to the edge and then pulls you back. Walks the to the edge of the that, Okerville River. That big bombastic riff, it almost has some foo fighters energy. Like <laughs> some like guitar like they rock. They're very close to Stadium rock. A, a true breakout <laughs> crossover hit, but it never truly happened. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it as like wondering, like, do they ever have a song like in a movie or something? Because I feel like they're kind of set up for that almost. But uh, they did it on a TV show. It was a uh, Shrill S308. <laughs> e- 
S O three E O eight. Got to get that in there for sure. Um, <laughs> God, Caleb, you just have to. You can't lay off, can you? <laughs> All right. Well, Caleb, do you have a do you have a track? Yeah, I think a song that's along those lines is um, Black. Um, yes. It comes. That's that's like a midler, right? It comes a little bit in the middle. Um, and I and I believe it comes off the hills of a very sad bastard um, song, which we'll talk about later. And so it's it's the way that it yeah it kind of pitch changes is really cool. And um, I think it's just like a it does that like the big pop hooks really well and kind of has almost like a power pop baby power pop. I was just going to say pop. it has like big <laughs> chords, nice sweet arrangements, good vocal harmonies, all that cool power pop elements, but. Yeah, it kind of brings in that that twangy, big, you know, chords. prairie rock, the the fucking heartland, baby. So, like, um, okay, would you say it had big chords energy, like corduroy? <laughs> corduroy. Remember the big thick chords? Yeah, oh, like yeah. those. Yeah, not the fine ones, not the ones that we could wear to the school, but the ones we wear for free dress. Um, yeah, it's like those. <laughs> and um, and I actually what I liked was this song's because I am a, like a lyrics guy because you know I'm just kind of sentimental and I like you know kind of like sentimental records and I like to sing along and stuff and it's like I don't know something I realized over years I'm actually all about um, and I liked how the lyrics are good but they're unpretentious they're very straightforward and like I was saying it's like you're he's like the Raymond Carver to fucking you know Isaac Brock's Bukowski or whatever <laughs> even though Bukowski is a pretty straightforward writer too but you know what I mean just like just cool un you know unembellished narratives and stuff so it'd be song. like his uh Carver to his Burroughs or whatever yeah Burrow yeah better 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 example yeah for sure so yeah let's hear some black Okerville River and the Black Sheep Boy <laughs> as read by William Mesborough. I once scored a bag of dope with Tim Harden at Woodstock. Yeah, there's some of that electric piano that I really dig in there. Yeah, the electric piano is great. And yeah, that song just kind of reminds you of just, you know, just swinging around a PBR, spilling it yeah. on somebody. It's got some, <laughs> you know, it's like got the, that uh, thermals kind of yeah, gaslight anthem. Uh, was that other band, the band from um, Vancouver? Amer- Americana punk. Japan slash, droids. Slash, oh, yeah. 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 E- I call that emo Springsteen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's it's the heartland. It's the well, heartland, speaking correct. of emo Springsteen, I mean this this song also kind of gave me like some proto uh, Titus Andronicus vibes. A yeah. Little bit. Oh, yeah. Little, yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've been circling that name. I'm surprised circling it hasn't come up earlier. Yeah. Titus Andronicus right. for sure. Yep. Definitely a spiritual kind of successor to this band. In yeah. A way. I bet you that dude loved this album. What was that guy's <laughs> name? Titus. Pat Mr. Patrick Stickles. Mr. Titus and no, I think his name was in Titus and <laughs> It's a titular uh, band. Uh, <laughs> I just want to play a little bit of uh there's some nice electric piano guitar that totally, comes yeah. in towards the back half here. So here's a little of that.
I feel like that was another (laughs) little pitchy dog. I feel like that was another thing that a lot of bands around this time did was where like the rest of the band would fall out and like it'd be like a keyboard or a guitar part and it would just be like then you swing right back into the big anthemic thing Mm -hmm. which i dig when it's done really well and i think it's done pretty well that's like that's the indie rock version of like a drop like a beat yeah exactly Mm -hmm. definitely all right any more slappers yeah do you do a slapper agent yeah so I have a couple. One actually, this this one might be good actually because I think it can transition into into the wax because I think you have it as a wax. But uh, Caleb, mm. song of our so called friend. Oh yeah. Uh, and honestly, I can see our why friend. you. Friend. <laughs> Is that a mafia thing? Is yeah, our friend? Yeah. Yeah. Our friend. Uh, <laughs> I, I just heard from our friend. He uh, yeah. he wants to meet. Um, but I don't know. I I can I see what you chef. mean. There's like, (laughs) um, I think towards the middle and the back half of this record, there's like a series of songs that are all very reminiscent of other bands or reminiscent of other songs, like kind of less interesting than sort of the first half, which I think has a lot of stronger songs, but this one, for whatever reason, it just, it hooked me. I, I really like it. It's probably the horns, which again is very, you know, prototypical horns for, for this part, but it, I don't know. It works for me. Yeah, I have in my notes, pleasant enough, (laughs) comma, too jaunty. It's very jaunty for sure. Uh, But Caleb, why don't you kind of break down why you you think it's a Yeah, I think it goes too far over with the song, what Black does. I think it does it too much. Uh, It's a little too precious lyrically. It reminds me at times of the old 97s. There's a band I do not like. Oh, uh, no, you, these guys were huge. They were huge. They had years. the song in the last episode of Scrubs or some shit. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the the question or whatever that song was all over the place. But S twelve E twenty five. Yeah, and then like Rhett Miller was like their like lead leading man. He had like solo albums and shit. But they were like, I think they're from Austin too. I want to say, um, and yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of just like that. I don't know, corny alt country stuff that that's definitely just had big pop aspirations. I don't know. It just, I don't, it just doesn't work for me. It's a, it, it's, it goes too far into the mopey thing. And um, the trumpets are a cool idea, but I think in this instance and of this era, it was used a lot as a crutch. It was kind of like multi-instrumentalism is like a big thing that bands are doing but sometimes if you just kind of did it for this kind of just pedal note kind of drone thing it became a crutch to end a song for a while yeah or to like do like the the beat drop but it would be just like the little drony trumpet we could do a whole season on trumpets there's so many indie rock bands at this time that had a song that was usually towards the back end of the album that had a trumpet uh like the trumpets took out the song you know it was like, and like yeah everything kind of dro- the trumpets. dropped yeah. down and then yeah. they like bust so up many. the trump i think that was like a twee influence because like bell and sebastian used to do that shit a lot oh yeah yeah totally absolutely yeah so um yeah i, I had it i had it as the whack for that reason i think it just kind of goes a little bit too far of what kind of i'm skeptical of this album that does nice All right well uh on that note let's hear a little bit again i want to play a little bit of the electric piano and then it goes into sort of a more full band piece here 
So yeah, you can tell from there that it is a very jaunty fucking song for sure. But I don't know. It just hooks me. Nice. All right. Nice. Okay, uh, what's next? Do you have any wax, Noah? That was my whack, the one I highlighted. Okay. Being I do have some wax. Or ah, uh, well, I'll just keep it to one whack. All right. So Noah, you were about to tell us what you thought was whack. Yeah, there was a couple. Caleb, you mentioned a stone, a stone, a stone. At, at first blush, I had that I think as it's a whack. And stone. Yeah, at first I had that as a whack, but I think the dude has a self awareness where he's doing a little bit of commenting on his own self. Like he has, there's lyrics where it's like, "Am I overstating my case?" And it's like, "Yes, you are." <laughs> You know that you are. So I grew to kind of respect that song. But one song I wanted to say, I think the back half of this album is kind of weak. Like the last mm-hmm. five songs. Yeah, it, it get on my nerves. Breaks, yeah. Kind of skids. And I think that that downfall really starts with uh the latest toughs. Mm-hmm. It's just a little too emo. His vocals for me kind of reached a tipping point. And it also sounds like a couple bands we've covered on this with as far as the big band indie vibe goes. It has a little bit of a new pornos vibe, new pornographers vibe. Definitely. And a little bit of a broken social scene vibe where it kind of gets a little spacey. And, and it reminded me a little bit of like polyphonic spree. Oh, is that why you sent us the yeah. polyphonic for so, reference? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I went down a polyphonic spree uh, rabbit hole. Oh, I'm sorry. There's nothing are you, a, there. are you in a cult now? There is nothing <laughs> there, guys. That shit is thin and hollow and commercial and garbage. Like it's just like the the robes they wear. Yeah, it's very. It's not smart. It's like it's not. It's not layered. It's like yeah, it's fake. But um, aren't they from Austin? I think they're from Dallas, actually. Okay, there you go. Texas, nonetheless. But I, yeah. I said this song is like sound and fury signifying nothing. Uh, <laughs> and Adrian, it's if you want to play it like baby. around the 220 mark, that's when it has this kind of polyphonics free vibe. And it has a dumb digital bleepy bloopy outro that I just doesn't, I don't think it has a place with this band but they seem to do it because they could so all right here's a little of the latest toughs Yeah. It's heavy new pornographers vibe right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, it's just his voice got a little it got to me 
on on the back half of this album. But yep. I just wanted to do one whack because I don't want to be too hard on this guy. Sounds like he's <laughs> gone through he's some a shit. rough go. <laughs> he's yeah. hard enough on himself. <laughs> exactly. That's what yeah. I appreciate. It's true. That's one thing you can say if you're gonna do emo stuff. I mean, emo is a dumb word. Like we shouldn't. I mean, it all music be a, should be emotional. Yeah. Yes. Right? It should, Ideally. It should be a, it shouldn't be a pejorative being emotional, especially, you know, what we've learned about toxic culture and not dealing with like mental health and stuff like that. So like, yeah. if you want to like bear your soul on an album, I respect that, but just do it in the privacy of your own home. I don't want to hear that shit in public, but don't, but don't, I don't have make to explain it, that to my kids. Yeah. But don't make it like, woe is me. And I'm going to get my like revenge on the girl that, I lusted after. Yeah, we don't want revenge porn. Core. <laughs> yeah. You know, and sometimes it verges on that where it's like, yeah. calm down, buddy. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, yeah just see, one whack. See, Google Hobo Johnson, everyone, if you need to <laughs> where you should or, what you should be avoiding. Or really don't. Just just don't or don't even don't. don't subject yourself to that. The guy does tiny, not need more SEO tiny, action. Tiny desk tape or whatever. What's that shit called? Uh, <laughs> tiny yeah. uh, tiny desk shit is abomination. NPR music, stop. Yeah, NPR, just stop covering music. We'd all be the better for it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Adrian, did you have a whack? No, no whack. I think I agree that the back half of the record gets a little bit uh yeah it's pretty rough yeah times a seven minute song on here yeah and actually i don't mind that one that song's actually good i like actually like that song it's kind of an interesting coda those last two songs are pretty good yeah they're kind of they're kind of touching on a different mood that the rest of the album isn't in service of so it's it's a little like i said goes back to my critique where it's a little uneven when i sat down to because i always like listen to the whole album and write notes and before the song played, I just saw the runtime. And so in my notes, I just put seven minutes and 37 seconds. The fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's a palatable eight minutes. Like it, it, it has a nice, you know, flow. Yeah. And I think he's yeah. kind of telling a story and ha- having some characters and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if that's the case, I want to introduce a new segment just for this episode. And I call it totally torn. Oh, I like it. And it's a song that I'm totally torn on. Uh, I can't determine if it's whack or if it slaps. And it's not like an honorable mention situation. It's not like a half whack, you know, or half, you know, something I don't want to be too mean about, but it's a stone. Like, I can't decide how I feel about it. Yeah. At first, I was like, oh, this is like when I would write Jen like a fucking paragraph long text about missing her or like whatever. <laughs> this is a song I would be listening to. And then I start to think about that and I creep myself out. But then I'm like, I don't know. It's like doing. Yeah, I said earlier, it's like a it's like fucking a song that, you know, lyrics Jason Molina would like pick his teeth teeth with, you know. But then I'm like, I don't know. He's kind of doing his own thing. And it's like pretty romantic and touching at times and like Noah you're saying it's like it kind of does the precious you know overly emotional vocals and in a way that's like it kind of owns it you know so yeah I don't know how I feel about it and every listen I kind of go back and forth and um I think like the flow of it is good and the instrumentation and just the kind of finger picking style is like stuff I'm like really into and like more into now than I've ever been. So I don't know. I'm, I'm totally torn. 
Nice. And I don't need you guys to like break the tie for me emotionally or anything, but I just want Caleb, to acknowledge that sometimes you get a song that you cannot make heads or tails out of. Can I suggest around the two minute mark? I think you're, it gets into some of those earnest cr- kind of cringy layers. Yeah, earnest cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Ernest what don't what, what we, we, before we move on to the next segment, why don't we like, yeah get out of here with the, the, the two minute mark and give it a little listen yeah here is a, that was a good author Ernest Cringe he was yeah, like Ernest a, Cringe he was like a down home Alabama poet Some good yearn rock. Yeah. Yeah, yearn. <laughs> yearning, yearning rock. Let the good times yeah. yearn. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get a ur- urinary tract infection though, you know? <laughs> that was a bad pun. All right. <laughs> Moving along. What's uh glad we're not rating my puns this episode, but we are rating this album. What what number are you gonna give this? Shit, man. I've been all over the math on this album. I feel like I haven't stated my case at all. I've just been wishy-washy. Isn't that a lair from a stone from overstating my case? <laughs> I've been wished and I've been washed. Um, I've been pissed. And I've been and tossed off. out of every bar and every car. And I swear that I'd see you tonight. <laughs> That uh, that is awfully reminiscent of my freestyle pop punk uh, lyrics we did when we were camping oh, last yeah. summer. Caleb hit us with the freestyle. Oh, I can't do. I was on about fourteen and a half seltzers at that point. So <laughs> once I get back to that, <laughs> that's my creative. Ju- when I get those creative juices flowing, and I miss we'll do you. it on a, and I need you. I give it shit. I've gone from like <laughs> an eight. I've gone from like an eight to a seven to a seven five seven two. I'll, I'll give it a 7.5. All right. Keeping in line with Pitchfork never giving an emo album above an eight. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know. It's like, how good can it be? There's a ceiling on this stuff. All right. Well, uh, I think for me, I 8.5 is just a, a touch too high. Uh, yeah. I think this is, this is a good, good record, but. I'm gonna go with, I think eight one. I think it's about an eight one, just slightly above an eight point for me. Yeah, and I'm gonna split the diff with you guys. I'm gonna do a seven eight. I believe that's the difference. Uh, more nice. of right, right there in the middle. Yeah, it's like um, yeah, it's what you would give, or just like a straightforward Americana kind of album, you know, whatever. Um, not that I need to base that on how Pitchfork rates things, but just yeah, <laughs> just how I feel about it. Nice. And yeah, it's like what you would give like a Joe Walsh album. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what's the uh, tabulating? You gave it an 8.1, Adrian. I gave it a 7.8. No, you gave it a 7.5. 7.5. 7.8. I win, bitch. Wow. Uh, Is that twice in a row that you've gotten it on the dot? I mean, I feel like he recently got it on the dot. That's how the numbers work out. He rigs it. If you I, did last, that I, would be, you I did say I would be meeting math. you two in the middle. So, I mean, uh, I guess I was. He called I was it. Right. Math isn't my strong suit. 
<laughs> yeah, seven point eight, not bad. I could never not get bad. into. I can't even get into math rock. Like I try to listen to Chavez, I'm just like I don't care. <laughs> Are you gonna? Will you guys ever listen to this album in its entirety again? Probably I not. like I said, mm-hmm. it's a drinking album. It's kind of burrowed itself into me that that way. Yeah, I think I would definitely throw it on. You know, a drinking album is perfect for that. But I think it's. Uh, I think I, I. I'll definitely return to this record. It's. Uh, it's worth it. Well, we only have four more years till the fifteenth anniversary. Yep. Get your tickets now, dude. Fly down to Austin. Everyone from California is moving to Austin anyway, so one of us will probably be there. Uh, smooth scale. I don't. I. I can't even square this with smooth. It's totally different (laughs) vibes. Totally different worlds. Would you rather listen to these? These 11 songs or Santana's Smooth featuring Rob Tomas 11 times straight. What I would say is a night, it could easily start out where the night started off with Smooth and I'm like, hell yeah. And then it goes badly and it involves <laughs> bourbon probably. And it ends with Black Sheep Boy. And I'm like, listen to a stone. And then Smooth again for that. Yeah. Little, you need the little pick me up breath. Yeah. Just to kind of cheer wind. me up. <laughs> This Oakerville River is like last wind music where you're like, oh shit, it's bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. Bedtime. It's kind of like give up music. The, all your okay. friends, all your friends left the bar and you're walking home alone. Yeah. And you're just like, yep. It's, it's uh, bedtime at the OK Corral. Yeah. <laughs> but this album is also kind of the vibes it gets around drinking. It's like that, those times where you're like, you don't need more, but you're like, I'll get another six pack just to have. And then you're like, oh, I got some alone time. Yeah. And then you put on something like this and just kind of drink a few more beers. And all right, know, what's next? Bust out your journal, make a few calls. Um, whatever happened to this band? They got big, right? The stage frights, sort of not stage fright by stage the band, name. but stage, stage, stage names. names. And then the stand ins. Um, those, those, those are two pretty big records, right? That was the best new music. Um, yeah. And like uh, Nathan, our, our Colin guest was saying how they became kind of like his name's actually nathaniel oh sorry nathaniel nate Nate. shit my bad but uh he was saying how they became this kind of anthemic almost on the uh almost like a a festival circuit staple i don't think they Mm. ever quite got there uh but they came out with an album this year which i heard came out i heard that it came out well it was it was a live record right Uh, okay i don't even know yeah, I think with the, and I think that's it was what we needed last this year. year was live records because we can't see stuff live. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, because their last full length I think was 2018. But you know, it they they're still around. They're still I think they are working on. They have been working on another record, so I'm sure that's going to drop here in the next year or two. Do you uh, think it, seems it like even they're kind gets, of on a every couple of years kind of thing? Do you think even it even gets uh, a headline on Pitchfork like? Does it even get it, make the review section anymore? This, this next one, oof, yeah. I could go either way. The last one, so looking at this last record, they gave it uh, they gave it a six point nine. So you know, it could go either way. I think I wouldn't be surprised if it was just like a news because sometimes they'll do that or they'll just drop the news of like Ockerville River new record and then they won't review it. I think that they might be relegated to that, yeah. but who knows? Cool. All right. Right on. Um, Noah, do you have a game for us? I do. This is a game I like to call Malloy, Chef, or Gibbard. 
Oh boy. So Ooh. I'll give you. <laughs> I'll Is that a some... super group? Please, God, don't oh, put that out in the universe. On. MSG, baby. That could be. M- that's a good. It's uh, a good fuck M- Mary kill too. Oh, let's do that. Actually, that's the new game. Fuck Mary <laughs> Malloy Chef Gibbard. Um, I would probably marry Gibbard. He seems the most financially stable. <laughs> I would probably fuck uh, Chef because he seems like a fun time. You know, uh, pick him up from the bar. <laughs> yeah, he, he like takes care of himself, and he, I don't know. He's like shambolic, alcoholic kind of. You know, uh, <laughs> boho vibes, right? And then I would definitely kill Colin Malloy for obvious reasons. Yeah, that's the right choice. <laughs> Gibbard's also super tall too, so he's packing heat. <laughs> yeah, and he's also uh, he's friends with um, Tom Sharpling, so. Nice. I I could meet one of my Um, podcast heroes that way. But no, the game. So I'll just give you lyrics and you tell me is it Malloy of uh, Decemberist fame? Is it Chef of O'Kerrville River fame? Or is it Gibbard of a name that is so bad I don't even want to say it? Somebody else say it. The band? C for C? Yeah. Death Cab. The Postal Service? (laughs) QT. Death Cab for Cutie. Okay, so are you talking go. about Dantel? No, about <laughs> his, his flagship band. Oh yeah. Okay, here we go. First one is "We Are Two Mariners, Our Ship's Sole Survivors." In the belly of a well, its ribs are ceiling beams, its guts are carpetine. I guess we have some time to kill. Is that's that Mo- Malloy Shefford Gibbard. That's gotta be Malloy. I mean, that's Malloy, nautical yeah. talking about whales. Yeah, Come on, totally. at first all the songs it, are like that. Yeah, at first I thought it was Gibbard because he is from like Bellingham, that's Washington, Mariners, or whatever. Mariners, Mariners Revenge song. Mariners, fan. Mariners yeah. Revenge song. Okay, here we go. Let fall your soft and swaying skirt. Let fall your shoes. Let fall your shirt. Ugh. I'm not the lady killing sort enough to hurt a girl in port. Jesus. Um, a girl in port. I'm going to say that's more nautical. And Austin is landlocked. <laughs> so we're, it's not chef, but it does. He's trying to convince somebody that he's not going to kill them, but we all yeah, know he's he kind of has, has, has kind of a femicide uh, <laughs> lilt to him. I'm going to say that's chef, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think it's Chef. Nice logic there, Caleb. That was Chef. Okay. Here we go. Most people were overjoyed. Uh, They took to their boats. I thought it less a lake and more like a moat. Most people were overjoyed. They took to their boats. I thought it less a lake and more like a moat. I think this is from a children's book. Stupid, whatever it is. <laughs> I like think a, it's Gibbard. Yeah, it's Gibbard. Okay, last one. <laughs> Bruce Wayne Campbell interviewed on the roof of the Chelsea Hotel, comma, 1979. That's, That's actually not- a song title, not even a lyric. Uh, is that Gibbard again? Caleb? Um, oh. I feel like they don't have to learn to do the funky titles thing. 
I'm gonna say that Chef. Yeah, I guess they all did. Yeah, they all did. Caleb, you nailed it again. That is Chef. Um, Do you know who Bruce Wayne Campbell is? Um, Bruce Campbell and Bruce Wayne together. (laughs) Uh, He was like a glam rocker guy. Right. He recorded. He recorded under the name Joe Joe Braith. Oh, Braith. Joe Braith. Yeah. And I've never really heard of him. I heard of him, but I never heard him. But uh, he was like one of the first openly gay rock stars signed to a major label. And then he died at the age of like 34 in 1983 of AIDS. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. yeah. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, on a positive on. note. Yeah, on a positive note. Yeah, that is that, that is the end of the, the podcast. Um be sure to join us next week where we go back to Canada again. And uh, apologies to the Queen Mary in advance. We're doing <laughs> Wolf Parade. Ooh. Apologies. We got to watch the crown bone up on our uh, royals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going back to Canada. I believe Montreal this time to yeah talk about their debut album and uh that'll be a fun one i listened to that album somewhat recently independently of, of the pod so yeah that's fun if you have any uh thoughts on the album send us a send us a note you can do that over at uh whacker slaps at gmail.com you could do that on our social medias twitters and ig just at whacker slaps reviews can, we need those reviews we need reviews Review those reviews. Review next week's episode. Review. You know it's going to be good. Rate and follow. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell all your indie rocking friends. Tell all your embarrassing friends. It's all about you know being open with each other. Embarrassment rock. Embarrassment Embar- rock. Don't, don't worry. Right. We're not going to out you. But take us out, Caleb. Uh, thanks to Kiki, uh, Noah's wife, for the awesome theme song as always. Adrian, thank you for your. Stellar production work. Noah, thank you for keeping us on point and all the humor for Noah and Adrian. I am Caleb and this has been Whacker Slaps. And as always, we ask the Austonian question What made Milwaukee famous? Yeah. Poker. Bye. Peace.